0: Our middle child grew up making music and taking lessons. In grade school, she took classical guitar lessons, but in middle school, she traded in those strings for another set of strings and joined the orchestra, playing throughout middle school and high school. And even when she went to the University of Missouri, she played in the Columbia Civic Orchestra. She doesn't play anymore but we do not for a moment regret the money and the time that we invested in that education. She was shaped by those lessons and by the music, and her appreciation is very deep. I'm pretty sure she would tell you that the highlight of her musical career, such as it was, was attending a master class with cellist Yo-Yo Ma. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff. Now, if you don't know about a master class, and maybe they're not all the same, but in this case, three very gifted cellists, college age, were selected to play a piece that they had brought, Beethoven, Mozart, whatever. And then my daughter and about a hundred others, all orchestra folks, would sit in and watch this happen. They would listen to the piece, they would listen to Yo-Yo Ma give feedback, and just really take it all in. I could not wait for her to get home that day. I love Yo-Yo Ma's playing, and I couldn't wait to hear the stories. And so I said, well, how was it? And and she has a very good ear, and she said, well, they all three played their piece, and it was really, really good. And that's when I interrupted her. Oh, let me guess. And, that, and then even though it was really, really good, his ear could hear something else, and he said something like, but here, and and pointed out all their mistakes, is is that how it went? She said, nope, not even close. And I said, what did he do? She said, he went on and on about how gifted they were and how beautiful the playing was and just complimented them over and over on technique and everything. And I said, and that's it? (laughs) She said, nope. Then he asked them a question. What do you think the composer felt when he wrote that piece (laughs) and they were not expecting that to be on the exam (laughs) because they looked at each other like I I don't I mean they had they had never thought of this and after a while one of them kind of stammered out and said well um you know it kind of starts in a dark place and then it crescendos maybe with some joy I I don't know I think that's Kind of it and and yo-yo ma said yes yes i think you're exactly right and that is the only thing i didn't hear i didn't feel that and i don't think you did either what do you think the composer felt when he wrote the piece Believe it or not, when I taught at the seminary, I actually encouraged seminary students, thinking about preaching, to imagine the music that would accompany biblical text, and to ask the question, what did the composer or the writer feel when they wrote the piece? You know, like Paul's letter to Philippians is very different from Galatians, and Exodus is different from the Psalms. What did they feel? A lot of people, when it comes to the book of Revelation, think that John, the writer, felt hungover. Like it had been a really bad acid trip in the 60s or something. It's pretty tough sledding, let's admit it, right? But in this case, in this chapter, it's pretty simple, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, you got to get past the lamb that was a lion that somehow has seven horns and eyes and... But once you get past that, it's about singing. The four creatures and the elders, and then joined by the angels and all creation, they sing praise to God. It's really not that difficult once you get past the kind of trappings there. It turns out that the entire book of Revelation is fairly simple in its message, but the way it goes about saying the message is quite complicated. You know that if you've ever tried. But putting the dragons and all of that aside, the message of Revelation is this simple. If you could see into heaven, which is what happens here in this passage, if you could see into heaven, you would see that everything is fine. And that that is so secured of a future for us that we are to take courage down here. In other words, Revelation happens on these two levels. A glimpse into heaven that has something to do with us who live on earth. It's kind of like that prayer we just prayed and we pray every week, the Lord's Prayer. You know that line in the middle, on earth as it is in heaven, although remember in Greek it actually says, as it is in heaven, so be it on earth. It's the two levels again. This passage, by the way, if you grew up watching cartoons, you know where the people in heaven are sitting on a cloud with a harp. That's where this comes from. But I really think there's something much more profound happening. And it's those two levels. In the heavenly level, the saints are there. Do you know who they are? It's our loved ones who have gone on. It's my mother. It's your cousin. They are enveloped in the music of God. They are home and everything is fine. And they are enveloped in God's celestial music that is great comfort. But it's not the only thing. There is the earthly level, and that's where, well, if I can go back to the days of vinyl, you have to flip it over. It's the flip side. Because when you sing the songs that are sung in Revelation, you are not just praising God who raised Jesus from the dead. You are protesting. Here's where you should think Joan Baez Bob Dylan, maybe even Joni Mitchell. They paved paradise and they put up a parking lot. What were they thinking? Or the 60s, we shall overcome. Garrison Keillor, on his show, I remember he said that the winners write history, but the losers get to write the songs. That's what's going on here. John, the writer of Revelation, is a political prisoner of Caesar. Caesar, who declared himself to be the son of God, to be divine, to be worshipped. If you sing songs of praise to Christ, which we do every week, you are at the very same time saying, and no one else is my Lord. It's a song of protest, even as it is a song of praise. I don't know if you, I know some of you have read some Anne Lamott. She's an amazing writer. Her first book, her memoir, was uh, called Traveling Mercies. And if you read it, you know that she was, well, what my kids would call a hot mess. And that's putting it mildly. She was addicted to drugs and alcohol. She was having sex with a married man. They had an unwanted pregnancy. She had an abortion. She was just a mess. On the Sundays that she didn't have too bad of a hangover, she would get up and go to a flea market. And it just so happened that across the street from the flea market was a church. And on Sundays, walking through those little stalls, she could hear the music coming out of that place. It kind of reminds me of our 901 service in the summer when we worship out on the lawn. The church's music going out, wafting out over the world. Well, it was the music that got her. One Sunday, listening to that, she dared to walk across the street and go in the doors. She sat in the back. And she left before the sermon, but she listened to the music. And she would do this every once in a while. And then there came one Sunday in particular. They stood to sing a hymn, and she was too hungover to stand. So she just sat, she closed her eyes, and she let that music wash over her. And she said in that moment, she became Christian. But the singing of the church isn't just personal it's really it's societal it's systemic it's bigger than just our lives do you do you know that story about and and maybe there were many versions of it during the during the holocaust the concentration camps the germans figured out who among the prisoners were gifted musicians professionals even and they would force them to make little ensembles who would perform for the officers at night And the Jews who were forced into this said, we either play or we die. But if we have to play, and they conspired together, we would only play minor key, only dirges. It was an act of protest, even as they used their God-given talents. So my daughter was at this master class with yo-yo ma and he said hey, you know i don't think you felt what the composer felt here's what i want you to do i want you to play the piece again but i want you to close your eyes because you know the piece and your technique is fine i just want you to tap into what the composer felt and they all played again and my daughter said it was amazing it was celestial You know, all these years, in this congregation or in other churches where you've worshipped, there have been people with the gift of music, the orchestra, the choir, Matt, Paul, so many people down through the ages that sung and invited us to sing. But in reality, it was God who was composer. And all along, God was asking us, what do you feel when you sing my songs.